Christchurch, New Malden, Sunday the 8th of May 2022, 11 o'clock service. Stephen Kerr speaking in the series, The Fruit of the Spirit, Joy. So, a Christian woman, all set for a happy retirement with her husband, when on the brink of this happening, he suddenly drops dead from a heart attack. She is completely distraught, of course, but rather than being overcome by bitterness, she somehow finds the strength to use her life to serve and care for needy young people in the local area. A Christian man, this time in his early 50s, who's worked hard in his career to provide for his family. He's kept himself fit by running half and full marathons and who's suddenly struck down with terminal cancer, and yet who manages somehow to retain good humour, appreciation of the many good things that he's had within his life, and is determined to make the most of the time that he's got left. Another Christian woman, like the first, a little bit older, who's given much of her life to teaching and raising her family, only for her husband to promptly leave her for someone else, and who somehow responds, again, not with bitterness, not with anger or abandoning her faith, but by deciding that God has provided her with the opportunity to serve him through missionary work in Africa. All of those examples are of people that I know or have known and can visualise as I speak. The pictures weren't real ones, they were stand-ins. And the factor that enables all three of these people and others to cope with those sort of blows, the thing that gives clarity to the somehow of their ability to cope with those things and carry on with such a positive spirit, that thing is simply joy. But before we go on, we need to be clear about what joy is. And crucially, we need to be clear about what joy isn't as well. In fact, one of the easiest ways to define joy or to prepare the way for defining joy is to establish what joy isn't. Now, I did an assembly on this once at Christchurch School, and to illustrate what joy isn't, I got kids up at the front and I asked them to say really sad things in a really happy voice. And the result was really quite comical, as they had to make a huge smiley face, and they had to say in an excited voice things like, my favourite toy got broken last week, or something like, all my friends have started being horrible to me. And joy, I said to those school kids, is emphatically not that. Joy is not a denial that bad things happen. Joy is not trying to pretend that such bad things are good things in disguise. Joy instead, I told those children with the, hope of the help of a pair of scales, joy is fully acknowledging the presence of bad things in life, but knowing that they are outweighed by something better. And the thing that outweighs the bad stuff and produces what Christians call joy is God's promise of resurrection and new creation. God, you see, has promised that the way that things are in this world now, with all its hardship and difficulty, isn't 
the way that things are going to stay. God is going to one day put things right. He's going to vindicate all those people who've been treated unfairly. He's going to liberate this world from everything that's wrong with it. And with the restored and renewed people that belong to God at the heart of a redeemed and restored world. How do we know this is going to happen? We know it because of Easter. Easter and the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that that process has already started of injustice and evil being reversed and the innocent being vindicated. And Easter points us to how everything will one day be made in its entirety. And joy is knowing that all of this is true. Meaning that we also know that the bad stuff in the present, while really tough and painful, isn't going to have the final word. And that's what gives joy its depth, and that's what gives joy its permanence. Happiness goes up and down, doesn't it? Happiness is dependent on circumstances. That's actually why it's called happiness. It's happen chance. Happiness is dependent on what's happening to us, but joy is different. Joy is steadier, and it's more confidence because it's an inner confidence, a deep confidence that God is on the job. That however difficult and painful things are in the present, the resurrection of Jesus Christ shows that God has both ultimately and with clear signs in the present got it all in hand. And the part of the Bible that displays what joy is more clearly than anywhere else is really Paul's letter to the Philippians. Paul's letter to the Philippians, in many ways, is quite different from Paul's other letters. It's not quite so polemical. It has its moments in chapter 3, where he uh, lays into his opponents. But basically, it's a very different type of letter, and it's often known as the epistle of joy. And when he writes this letter, the circumstances are very significant, because Paul is in prison, possibly in Ephesus, possibly in Rome. And during this time that he's banged up in prison, Paul has to endure the knowledge that other Christian leaders who were ambitious and envious of him were trying to undermine his work and stir up trouble for him. And added to all of this, Paul wasn't sure what was going to happen to him. He was reasonably confident that God was going to bring him through this and help him to survive because there was further things that God wanted him to do. But he knows it's possible that that's not what's going to happen and that the end of his life could be fairly imminent. Now, all of this, all of these unfortunate circumstances, they're reported by Paul with complete honesty, and yet joy still permeates every part of the letter. Paul speaks about his own joy. He constantly urges the Philippians to have joy. He tells them to rejoice. And it's all because, as I say, he's got absolute confidence, absolute certainty in the reality of Jesus' resurrection from the dead and therefore the future resurrection of all of God's people as part of the time when God acts to put everything right. And the key part of the letter in this regard are those verses from chapter 3 where Paul speaks about those who can only focus on earthly things, this was in our second reading, before going on to say these words. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. He doesn't then go on to talk about, and one day we'll go there. 
actually he talks about the Saviour coming from heaven, and this is crucial. And we eagerly await a Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they may be like his glorious body. We live on earth, Paul is saying, but we're invested in heaven. And the Saviour who will one day come from there to bring everything on this earth under control and to bring us resurrection life. And perhaps as you listen to this this morning, you particularly feel in need of such joy. I think we all do. The last two years have been really tough for all of us with COVID, haven't they? But many of us here have had very specific things to cope with as well. Perhaps it's been the loss of people dear to you. Perhaps it's been mental health issues, which of course have been hugely exacerbated by the pandemic. Perhaps it's been difficulties within your family. Perhaps it's some sort of physical illness or affliction that you're coping with. I've had, as you well know, my own fair amount of troubles with some of them far from over. And what we all need in these circumstances, what we need is the assurance that God does care, that he's not indifferent, and crucially, that he is doing something about it, that he's both going to do something about it, but he's already started. He's going to do something about all of the injustice and the hardship that we're facing. If Easter had never happened, we couldn't be sure of this, but it has. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Jesus really is alive. And that means that the future that God has promised is guaranteed. And that is the basis of joy. The settled and permanent sense of knowing that however tough things are now, they're ultimately going to be okay. The joy that can, through a relationship with the Jesus who is alive, become part of our life. And when we receive that joy, a number of things happen. A number of things become really very different in our lives. And the first that I want to highlight is this. I've really sort of hinted quite strongly about this already. But joy provides us with a different attitude towards our difficulties. Paul, sitting there in prison, is so sure of the future that God has promised that he has a totally different attitude to both that imprisonment and to the limitations that is placed upon his Christian ministry. Now, in both cases, Paul could be forgiven for railing against the injustice of it all, couldn't he? But instead, his faith in the future that God has promised not only allows him to accept this as part of his path towards ultimate deliverance, it even enables Paul to see the positives that have emerged from this. Now, we have to be very careful here. This isn't Paul saying that the bad things are good things in disguise. They're still bad things. But his joy is such that he's able to see the way in which God has been redeeming those situations by bringing good out of bad. And that's what joy does. So he says here, my imprisonment, if we have the text up, my imprisonment has meant, Paul says, 
that the whole palace guard knows that I'm in chains for Christ. Paul's able to be so positive about this. He's banged up in prison, and because of that, the people who guard him and plenty of other people, they know about Jesus, because this guy that they're looking after in prison, that's the reason he's there. So joy is able to open Paul's eyes to seeing this wonderful positive that's come about from this negative. It also, next bit of text, enables Paul to see how his more genuine Christian brothers have spoke up more boldly in his absence. There's been other uh, Christian leaders, perhaps they were a bit intimidated by Paul's abilities, who when Paul's put in prison, it's made them really step up to the plate and proclaim Jesus more fearlessly. And because Paul has got this joy, he's able to see that. His eyes are able to see that undeniable positive that has come out of something so bad. And he even, and this is really amazing, he's even able to say that if others have preached Christ out of envy and ambition or to store up trouble for him, even if their motives have been at best very, very mixed, at worst awful, then the really important thing Paul is saying is that Christ is being proclaimed. And it's joy that enables him to take that attitude. It is an astonishing series of statements for a man unjustly imprisoned while being stitched up by people who should be his fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, isn't it? Yes, there is more than a bit that resonates with my experience over the last year. But the crucial thing is that his joy transforms this situation for Paul. He doesn't deny that the bad things have happened, but it puts his joy a completely different picture on it. And that's because faith in the future that God has promised is for Paul such a reality that he's actually living part of that future now. And that is what brings joy its power. Joy itself is part of God's promised future coming into the present, into the now, through the Holy Spirit. See, that's the Holy Spirit's job, that's the Holy Spirit's task, to bring part of that future that we can look forward to into the present reality of our lives. And that's why it carries so much power. Joy has supernatural power because it is part of that eternal future coming forward into the present. And that's also why joy has such a transforming effect on people who witness it, people who it touches. So are there situations that you're facing at the moment where you can take a similar attitude? Undeniably tough situations which you might be tempted to see entirely negatively, but where belief that Jesus has risen and therefore God will sort everything out one day can give you a joy that provides a similar strength. Indeed, a positivity in the face of those difficulties. It provides you with the opportunity, like Paul, to have your eyes opened to where God actually is working, sometimes redeeming the most awful situations through his grace to bring positives about that wouldn't happen otherwise. Knowing that things will one day be put right does make all the difference to even the biggest difficulties that we face if we let it. 
So that is one effect of joy. But another is this, and it's also emphasized within Paul's letter to the Philippians. Joy makes us see status symbols differently. Right in the middle of this letter, in chapter 3, Paul runs through all of the things that he was once really proud of, all of the things that once gave him loads of status. And uh, he does a great big list of them, and there's so much that I haven't been able to put it all on one slide. But basically, it's summed up by his statement that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. When it came to credentials, Paul had the lot. But what he says is that he now considers all of that rubbish that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Now, actually, he uses a ruder word than rubbish. Uh, if you want to Google skybala, the Greek word, you can find out what it is, but I dare mention it from the pulpit. But even when we translate it more politely, the point is clear, that what God has done in Jesus Christ and what God will do in Jesus Christ should completely relativize all of those symbols of status that all of us, me included, can very easily fall into seeing as all important. Now, I wonder whether the application of this, particularly in our culture, takes even more effort than the one that I've just talked about. Because status matters so much in our world, doesn't it? Having the right job, or having had the right job if we're retired, having the right house, the right holidays, the right relationships, or failing this, seeing our kids get these things, all of that can matter so much within our world. And some of those things, when we get them, can bring us an emotion that can feel a bit like joy. But because all of those things are created things, they're transient, aren't they? They're by definition passing. They're here one moment, and they'll one day pass away. And that means that nothing permanent can come from investing all of the significance and status of our life in those things. However good those things might be, and most of them are pretty good, we need something more eternal to base our security in. We need something that's eternal and permanent and forever because that is what will provide us with something that is permanent as we look forward to that in joy. And once again, it's faith in Jesus' resurrection. The thing actually that can liberate us to get the most out of the good things in our lives is once again our faith in the God who raised Jesus from the dead, who will one day sort out this world, and whom, through Jesus Christ, has already given us a wonderful status an identity in him. I talked recently about baptism. We've got a number of baptisms coming up in this church. And it's easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking when a baptism takes place, it's just about the person being baptised. We've got Sophie Davis being baptised next Sunday. It's going to be wonderful at the 9.30 service. Chris and Valerie will be back, grandparents, uh, members of this church for a long time, and so on. But when a baptism takes place, it's not just about the person being baptized, adult or child, it's about all of us remembering our baptism, remembering our status that we're given through Jesus Christ by our Father God. We're given a wonderful status and an identity which relativizes every other status marker 
that we could be persuaded to invest everything in. And it's our baptism, our status in the sight of the God who raised Jesus from the dead that is all part of giving us that joy that knows that our future is secure. Lastly, joy also transforms our behaviour. Look at these verses, or this summary of verses, as Paul starts off by exhorting the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. We don't tend to sing that round anymore, do we? Uh, Ruth's got songs into my head from what she said earlier. But there was, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. And then one part of the church would sing and it would around and so on. But anyway, Paul makes that point and then he goes on to talk about behaviour. Let your gentleness, he says, be evident to all. That's another fruit of the Spirit that we'll look at in a few weeks' time. But he also mentions peace and contentment, doesn't he? And the truth is that if we find the joy that springs from the confidence that Jesus is risen from the dead, and God will therefore sort out this world, we will become people who are more gentle. We will become people who are less angry particularly when we face things that are unfair or unjust. The reason we'll be able to cope with those things is because we know they're not going to have the final word, that God will one day put everything right. And that will then bring us the contentment that's able to see more clearly the things that we do have in the present. It will give us the peace about the things that we don't yet have and it will give us the gentleness to make sure that we're staying completely right in the middle of all of this. Because when we're badly treated, when we're suffering injustice, the easiest thing is to feel that we're then justified in giving a bit back. But what joy will do, amongst other things, is make sure that we keep ourselves right in the middle of all of this. So back to those people that I began this talk with, all people known to me or who have been known to me. All of these people have, through their faith in Jesus Christ, and specifically their faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, found a joy that has managed somehow to outweigh the terrible things that have happened in their lives. Joy doesn't, to repeat, pretend that bad things are anything other than bad but they are relativised by joy. They're relativised by a joy that, because it becomes from God, has a transforming power which then can make a massive difference. And because Jesus Christ is for everyone, and because Jesus' resurrection from the dead is for everyone, that joy is something that every single one of us can possess. Let's spend a moment in prayer. Let's bring to God the biggest area of angst or worry or concern in our life at the moment. It may be something affecting us very directly. It may be a situation of someone close to us. Let's bring that situation before God in complete honesty. But pray for God's transformation into it. Father God, we ask that you would give us such an assurance of the truth of Easter 
and the truth of the future you've promised. That we receive a joy from you that transforms our lives. Help us not to be in denial, to be honest about what we're facing and how difficult it is. But we pray that you would also supply us with a joy from you that knows that ultimately you will put everything right and that our faith in that can make part of your future come in surprising ways into the present reality of our lives. We pray that you would give us your joy and we pray that it would bring the transformation that only your eternal power can bring. Because we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.